Hello, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Today, I'm finishing up a three-part podcast covering a dog I worked with, Jade. He's a golden retriever. Uh, Jade has some issues with arousal and aggression, and in part one of his story, I talked about who Jade is, and I covered something I call the four steps to behavioral wellness. In part two, I really got into the nitty-gritty of behavior modification with Jade, and that's where you'll find the details about what we actually did to help this dog get better. So if you haven't listened to those two episodes, I would check them out first. In this, the final installment, we're going to talk to Jade's person, Emily. So let's get Emily on the phone. Emily? Yeah. Emily. Hey, Emily, it's Sarah. Hey. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Okay, great. Um, so, Emily, if you don't mind and if you're ready, I just want to ask you a few questions about Jade. All right. All right. So, you've had Jade his whole life. So, when did you know that Jade's issues were really a problem? Okay, well, um, hindsight is always twenty twenty. so today I can pinpoint it a lot earlier than when I knew it was a problem at the time. Um, at the time, I realized things were a problem when I started training running contact. Um, Jade was about nine months old, and we trained using Sylvia Turkman's method. It's a really popular method, and I picked it for Jade because there wasn't any punishment. Um, there was no reward, but there wasn't any punishment. So, um, Jade's a smart dog, and although he didn't really know what the criteria was at the beginning, he figured out pretty quickly what no jackpot meant, and that really frustrated him. And the difference in Jade and other dogs get frustrated was that Jade exploded when he got frustrated. So he wouldn't get up, give up the tug toy. Um, the tug toy was his jackpot. But when he got a jackpot, he kind of like remembered um, the rewards and even the rewards. So he was reluctant to give it up. Um, when he didn't get a reward at all, he would body slam me, bite me, stuff like that. So I think that was the first time I knew something was a little wrong. Okay. And so just to clarify for everybody, um, in this running contact methodology, you're basically just trying to get the dog to run the boards as fast as they can, and you're you're never telling them that they're wrong. You're just differentiating between a reward and a jackpot. So it's basically, you know, you'll you'll produce the running behavior by throwing a ball, and that's what you did with Jade, right? Right. And. So then um, if he also yeah. hit, right, if he also met criteria, he would then get to come back and have a tug toy in addition, right? Exactly. The tug was his jackpot. Sure. And um, then so when I you... would praise him for a reward, but he learned pretty quickly that the tug was the highest value thing I had to offer. Right. So that tug was really important to him. And when he didn't get it, he'd respond violently towards you. He'd body slam you, maybe even bite you. Um and just get very frustrated. Right. I mean, but no jackpot was the end of the world for him. Definitely. Which was completely um, something I hadn't experienced in the past with my other dog. 
she would kind of like shake things off and just be happy that I would praise her. I mean, it was like all or nothing for Jade. Yeah. And so what kind of stuff did you try kind of along the way before you and I started working together? Um, I think to basically summarize what I was doing is I was doing a lot of reactive training with him. So he would bite me and this is kind of just a classic thing that I think everyone's taught. So once puppies bite you, you're supposed to shriek and right. yelp. Right. You're not supposed to shock them. And, you know, I tried that with Jade and she was like, why are we both screaming? So that, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> and then, um, like you mentioned in the earlier podcast, um, I got the head collar. And, you know, I'm going to admit that I, you know, he, he liked, he tolerated like this stretch. He didn't like it. But he tolerated the head collar, but um, it was more of a tool for me just to kind of transport him and for me to feel safe with him in public situations where I had to get him from point A to point B. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of kind of reactive stuff. Um, There was a lot of emotion in what I was doing. I would get upset. He would get upset. There's just sort of this, you know, endless cycle. Definitely. So by reactive type of training you you mean that you know he would do something and then you would react to it as opposed to having a game plan beforehand right right and I and I was not aversive with him I would never you know yell strike him anything like that but you know I, I was upset I would <laughs> definitely I would I would get mad I'd, I'd walk away from him there was a lot of emotion and I think that's understandable um so Emily, what would you say is the most important thing that you have gained from this experience? Um, I think I learned the difference between advocating for your dog and what you think your dog needs isn't necessarily what your dog actually is telling you he needs. Um... So I kind of, and I also learned the difference between drive and arousal. So I genuinely thought that just because you have a really, really fast dog, he's having a great time. Yeah. And the more I trained Jade, and I, I got used to like seeing this glazed over look in his eyes and, you know, the panting uncontrollably. And I realized that's not healthy. And the scary thing to me is, is that I see dogs competing with the same look that Jade used to train with. Definitely. Definitely. um, Yeah. So So, I had to... Sorry, I had to hit off a lot of my goals with him. Um, What we do today, there's not a lot of pressure in anything. Um, Our celebrations of what we accomplished, they're not paper. They're not something I can record on paper. They're not titles. Um... But I, I don't think that makes them any less of an accomplishment. Um, I just, that was a hard thing for me to learn. It took a couple of years. And I, I still struggle with it some days, but we've gotten a lot better. Definitely, because when you a got... A thousand times better because of that. When you got Jade, you got him to be a performance dog with you. I mean, you got him from a performance breeder. He was meant to be your agility partner and so oh absolutely really he was meant to be more than just an agility partner i i was running and competing with layla 
and Layla's a lovely, lovely dog, but she's, you know, a typical golden, and she's not, you know, a lightning fast little red golden retriever, but, but like a border collie. And that's what I wanted for my second golden. But I think I didn't realize that sometimes that comes with other unintended consequences. And I don't think you're alone so. in that either, Emily. Don't you think that that's so widespread in people in agility? I think, I think that, yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, we, a lot of agility competitors are a little hesitant to talk about it. But I do think that in a breed like a golden retriever, He's supposed to be, like, this go out in the field, hunt all day at a moderate speed. I think that when you take that away from them and you kind of build into them this crazy, like, you know, hunting black lab sort of drive, I think you lose some of the golden. Definitely. So, Emily, how have your goals or maybe your priorities for Jade shifted during this process? Um... So, we don't, let me, let me think about this. Um, because, and let me help you. definitely not in the forefront. Competition's not in the forefront? Um, no, it's not, and I, that's fine. Um, when we do compete, we do smaller one-ring trials most of the time they're outside. Because Jade requires a lot of space, so, you know, there's infinite space outside. That's not a problem. Um... We rarely train full courses anymore. Okay. And his agility has gotten better because of that. I used to think, you know, we're never going to get, he's never going to learn all this stuff, and we're never going to be able to, if I can't see him on a full course in practice, then he can't do it in a trial. And so I, uh, I started experimenting with just doing drills and doing very small sequences, like three to four obstacles. And he can keep his head on straight much better when he does things like that and yeah. then when we do piece it together in a full course there's not this sort of emotional baggage that full courses used to have got it and so your your goals which used to be you know a lot of competitive goals have shifted back and you were talking about this a little right. bit a little bit before your goals have shifted away from those those accomplishments that count on paper and more towards accomplishments that you know have maybe a deeper meaning Right, and um, we haven't quit agility totally. Um, I, I just do it more for us, so um, I teach him skills so that we can do we can accomplish something in the backyard, and that's really fun for him. I have I to like say it. that he's a lot happier when there isn't the pressure of going out and showing everyone what we can do. I, I like that. I like that distinction that you made is that you don't you didn't quit agility, but you do it for different reasons now than before. Right. And um, another thing is that I think Jade's primary job right now, because he does need a job, um, he is, I would call him the champion of the Rocky Mountains, and he truly is in his place when he's hiking. I mean, he's the most normal dog that he can be when he's hiking. Um, he's extremely athletic. He's so much fun. It's so much fun to watch him run around and, you know, run up and down the hills and down canyons. Um, but yeah, that's his thing. That's his so that's thing. his main job. So and he's, I mean, he, he's amazing at it. And, and it benefits him mentally and physically, too. Absolutely. And so you kind of started down this line, but what what does your life with Jade look like now versus what it looked like before? 
whole life. Um, <laughs> we did, yes. I'll just kind of touch on it, yeah. <laughs> we totally, not just kind of. Um, so, you know, he eats a raw diet. Um, I cut out every single starch possible. He does not get any starches. Um, he doesn't eat chicken. He eats very little beef. He gets a lot of fish oil. Um, he gets a lot of coconut oil. And then I luckily have a job where I can take him hiking or swimming most weekdays. And and by weekday, I mean very early in the morning. So um, that's nice because the temperatures are cooler and then we rarely see people on weekday mornings. So mm-hmm. I, I work um, primarily in the evenings and at night. So I'm able to do that. And um, around the house. So this is kind of where all the pieces fell together. I didn't realize it was so difficult to live with until probably I had I realized I wasn't trying very much anymore. So in the past year, um, he sleeps, and I know that sounds like a very basic thing, but he didn't sleep. For <laughs> but like he didn't used years. to. He did not used to. You're right. I mean, like melatonin was part of his nightly bedtime routine, and as awful as that sounds, I mean, he would not go to sleep. And I remember talking to border collie owners, and I remember being uh, saying, um, oh, I have this really high-drive dog. How do you guys live with dogs that don't sleep? And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my high-drive dog doesn't sleep. They're like, that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, so that's so, not a part of a high-drive dog necessarily. <laughs> right. So, I mean, as I'm talking to you right now, he's chewing on a bone. Um, on his bed, he's totally content. Um, I'm not always able to hike with him every day. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really made it a priority when we were first starting out, changing this whole um, routine. But I can't do it every day because sometimes I work during the day. Um, sometimes I have to study. Um, and on the days where I don't hike with him, he's fine. And that's huge, too. He's that's fine just difference. hanging out around the house yeah. as long as he gets to do something a couple times a week. Yeah, and that's a big difference for him, too. You used to feel very pressured to wear him out every single day. Right, and I used to feel like, you know, honestly, it was abuse if I couldn't get him out of the house. Yeah. And that was hard on me, too. Oh, yeah. So now it's nice to know that he's he's not, he's going to be fine. Like, he'll go find a bone, he'll go find a corner to sleep in, um, and he'll still sleep at night. Awesome. Excellent. Emily, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I think we covered about all of it. We covered a lot. We did. Um, I do want to say for anyone that has a dog like Jade, um, one of my main challenges was not necessarily him. I mean, he was, he's a challenge in of itself, but, um, I think that you have to be warned that you're going to get a lot of criticism from other people. And sometimes people don't mean it, and sometimes people are being rude, but people just, they don't understand. When you have a dog as complicated as my dog, um, it's just very hard to explain to people. And some of the things I tell people that we're doing, they sound monotonous, and it doesn't sound like we're getting anywhere, and it looks like we're running (laughs) in circles, but sometimes it feels like that, but, um, yeah, I think you just have to be forewarned that you know, the agility community and the dog training community in general, 
while they usually do mean well, sometimes it comes across the other way. And I think you just have to take everything with a grain of salt. And you have to realize, you know, I'm not going to prove myself to anyone but this dog. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's who you spend your evening with. And that's who you hang out with. And, you know, you get these animals for 12 plus years. And it just doesn't matter what someone says on a certain day. Or someone posts online. Definitely. And that, I know that was a big part of the struggle for you. And so I'm glad you brought that up because it's true. I think a lot of people, especially if they kind of have their dog training a little bit more in the public eye, which you will if you're going to be competing. Right. Um, it opens you up, certainly, for a lot of, you know, I always call it uh, well, well-meaning but poorly informed advice. Um, advice and sometimes not as well-meaning <laughs> as we've talked about but um, you know certainly part of it is just really embracing the process that you're going through and owning that process I think and knowing that this is right for you and your dog whether it's right for anybody else is not your concern or your business exactly All right, Emily, so thank you so much for doing this interview, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of your process with Jade. Um, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, Thank you so much. I listening to me when I was in tears three years ago. Oh, it happens, it happens. All right, thank you, Emily. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right, so that was Emily, Jade's person. And working with Emily and, the, and Jade was a really fantastic experience for me in my career because I love watching a transformation more than anything. And I love watching a dog be honored for his unique self. And I really think that's vital to the process. Thank you for listening. You can contact me at cogdogradio at gmail.com and definitely tune in every other week. Next time, we'll start exploring a complex case about a German shepherd named Kevin whose constant fear and high levels of anxiety used to completely rule his life.